We are live, Drew. All right, now, Drew. We are live. Drew, I have to tell you that I have known you for 42 years. I don't think I've ever said your name the same way twice. So, That's true. So I was sure that I was right when I used to say when I used to say uh, Nipurant, but that's not correct. Nipurant. No, that, that's good. But what is the problem? As long as you say, you can say Nipurant or you can say Nipurant. Exactly, but I, I don't know which. But which one do you say? And, you know, it's funny because you know I, I very rarely say it, so I say like Drew Nipurant. You know, Drew Nipurant, and then. You know, when I was a kid, my teacher said, "Oh, Drewny, nice to meet you." You know, it's like, you know, so if, if I if I say Drew, Nipporent, yeah, you know, that's that's probably the best way. But my mother used to do this thing. You know, my mother was an actress. Yes, my right. mother used to do this thing where she pointed to her knee. So if you hit the knee, pouring wine and paying rent, Nipporent. Okay, so now I that you taught me that one. So I started saying Nipporent. But then today I heard you say Drew Nipporent. And I was like, okay, now I'm fucked up. <laughs> no, no, it's I don't It's kind of the same. It's just a little it's it's just the way you kind of put it out there. Because I'm assuming that going through school, this was an issue for you. Your name, like people yeah. getting your name right. An issue for me when I ordered pizza, because you know the pizza <laughs> delivery box always got my last name wrong with it. Yeah, but it was. Okay. It, 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 I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like you know, Pierpont, Nippolorent, uh, yes. Torrent. Well, come on, you still have to right. get that. Phone solicitors still call me Vicky Abelson and do all this weird shit. Oh God, that's crazy. No, I mean, yeah, everybody's saying hi to us. Hi, everybody. I'm saying hi to Tony, to Laura, to Sharon, to Tova, to Anne, to Ray, to Cheryl. Hi, everybody. Um, everybody. So, you know, this is, you know, for, for the times, Drew, this becomes a really important thing because for those of us who are home alone and who are living alone, this is our only connection really to the outside world is when we, we do this once a day and we have community. So I know you're living with your wife. Your kids are not home, right? They're in their own, are they in their own space? You no, know, um, my son is a musician who lives in Verona, New Jersey, which is near Montclair. Right. And my daughter is uh, works on Broadway, uh, but there is no Broadway. But my daughter lives in Astoria with her fiance, who were, they were going to be married this year. Was, but of course, with everything that's happened, they're not going to get married this year. Okay, I was going to ask you that because I know you were planning the wedding and you had done a lot of. I, I remember that you were picking venues and doing all of that stuff. So is everything on hold now? Well, I mean, it was one of those things where we really thought uh, the wedding was planned for October, so we thought we were going to make it. Right. And then, you know, we're obviously not nearly done with this this thing. This is a disaster. Yeah. So uh, my daughter did not want to have a wedding with masks. Uh, <laughs> she didn't want masks servers or. She didn't want the mask so, ball, know, huh? <laughs> I I, I got to believe in New York, especially. Even though it's about well, July, August, September, three months away, um, there's still going to be mess in the restaurants. And, you know, the, the, none of the catering halls have come back because you can't have large gatherings. Okay, so let's talk about unless that. Unless you're Donald Trump. Unless you're Donald Trump and you're an idiot and you want to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. But that's a whole other story. So I know I mean, that. Can you imagine that? No. I, 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 but you know what's killing me is that he's fine. 
Well, he's not fine. They're saying that there's something going on with his health, but it doesn't look like it's Corona. It looks like it's uh, like he possibly has, he's got a shake that he's holding his hand. He's walking slowly. He's speaking slowly. They're saying he's got something going on. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, here, here's the thing. It's like, you know, like the people that still sort of support him, they think we're crazy. Yeah. They think, you know, but meanwhile, this guy has crossed the line so many times. I don't know if you watched anything today on the news, but I haven't you know, seen Bolton. But yeah. The Bolton book is going to be unbelievable. I, I mean, We thought we saw everything, but the Bolton, the Bolton book is going to be unbelievable. And uh, Mary uh, Trump's book is going to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Bob Woodward's got a book coming. I mean, look, I, it's, I thought, you know, when we were younger, very, um, you know, we, we thought, America was this unbelievable land of opportunity, and 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 that's what it's been for me. Mm-hmm. I I didn't realize how many stupid people there are. There's just there's just too many stupid people. You know, it's just it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. So how how I assume that Trump's decisions impact your business, and and Cuomo's decisions impact your business. So I I I recall that you opened Nobu recently for takeout and delivery, just recently, right? Right. Well, you know, Nobu is its just an extraordinary restaurant brand. I mean, we've been open since 1994. There's 50 around the world. Oh. It's, 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 it's pretty extraordinary. And, and we're open for takeout, but we're not robbing any banks. Trust me. And then, yeah. you know, past the pandemic, of course, we had uh, the, the protests. Right. Then we had a curfew. Did you we get a curfew? Did any of your venues get hurt? By the pro- Did any of your venues get affected by the looting and the protests? Um, well, the protests, you know, right next to my first restaurant, which I've I've had since 1985. Uh, they smashed the windows. They stole everything in the store. It was a very small little clothing store. You know, oh, in the middle wow. of no place. You're in the middle of Tribeca, but they yeah. destroyed it. Oh. You know, this, New York City is unrecognizable. I mean, when you look at all these stores that are boarded up, Right. I mean, it's it's just very very sad. I've never I've never seen anything like it. But um, you know the protests were obviously for a reason. Yeah. Um, and probably a pretty good reason. And that's also something we've we've never seen in our lifetime. But of, of course, you know this is right on the tails of at least anticipating getting open. Um, I'm you know nine eleven um, for Let's us. Let's talk about nine eleven because you were you were a first responder of food. Um, and yeah, so- but we just—I mean, and the, the beautiful thing about 9/11 is that everybody did something. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were right there, so they closed the streets. First, they closed the streets from 14th Street down downtown. Then they then they moved it to Canal Street. Irregardless, all my restaurants were in Lower Manhattan. Okay? Right. But the point I was going to make is that for 9/11, mm-hmm. it was this thing about let's get reopened, because even though there was all this uncertainty. Nobody knew right. what was going to happen. We wanted to get back to normal. Right. And we did. And and this lunatic, uh, Mayor Giuliani, I mean, he's unrecognizable now, but he did a very good job back then. He was America's mayor. And thank God. And, you know, we, we, we did very well after 9-11. We were shut down solidly for two weeks. Listen, we've been Is shut down all? for four months. Yeah. What do you mean? Two weeks was 9-11. Right. That's all. This this thing now, we mm-hmm. this is like nothing in my entire lifetime. 
we've ever seen. And, uh, you know, I've adapted to it. I'm, I'm actually, the point I'm trying to make to you is 9-11, we were hustling to get reopened. We told right. our staff we wanted to get reopened. Right. Now, I, I, I want to wait as long as possible until it's safe. Because actually, uh, logically, the customer is going to be the first one to let us know if it's safe. They're going to come back. Right. So in New York, New York's had the slowest um, return to normal, if you want to call that. But I don't I don't really relate to that. Uh, I think Cuomo's done an unbelievable job because he's spoken to us every day. Mm -hmm. He's he, 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 he gets right to the point mm -hmm. and we saw it. It all you're worked. The hospitalizations. Yeah. You're I mean, like it, 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 it's unbelievable. Uh, and and. You know, when they say social distancing, you know, that's a very polite way to say, don't go near anybody. <laughs> Stay at home. You know, my, you have no idea, Vic. My my, my wife, I, I come in the house, she wants me to strip down. I mean, you know, if there was a hose, she would hose me down. No, but you don't it, understand. It's just unbelievable. You're talking to the COVID kids. Myself and the people who watched, I haven't. Yeah, I saw you. Have, you I haven't hugged my son in a plastic bag. I, I, I spray. I mean, we're crazy. So I get your wife. I told. But wait a minute, didn't right. you have? But, but, didn't something happen to you? Didn't you have some form of the virus or something? I seem to recall something went I, on. I, I, I got a fever. Yeah. Uh, for three days. Yeah. You know, my wife had the thermometer. You know, every three seconds, oh. I'm taking my temperature. <laughs> I yeah, had very heavy sweats. I had and I had chills. Right, but but it, it dissipated, and so if I had it, well, here's the here's the thing. The reason why I believe I had it, I couldn't I couldn't smell anything. There you and go. It was like weird, and this was before they were saying right like before they said one of the symptoms. Right, you're not going to smell or taste anything. Right, so I was having trouble smelling. I, I was actually somebody had bought me a Katz's corned beef sandwich. <laughs> And it was yeah. like, Why? you know, this doesn't taste like anything. It doesn't smell. It's like, but so I, I think I had it. My brother, who's two years older than I am, he was uh, with fever for two weeks. Oh, wow. And he has a, uh, 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 his wife is a nurse. Uh -huh. He was very ill. And, and you know, he's an old guy. He's 67 now, my brother. So I was very worried about I'm him. 64. Don't call your brother very old now. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, I just, had, I just had my birthday. Look, you know, at 60, the 60s, we feel great. We're, we're youthful. But the reality is we're right in the category of the people who can get the COVID and, and oh, get, you Did know, I miss your birthday this they, year? You know, we're more prone to whatever happened. Did I miss your birthday this year? I never. No, I think I sang to you on your birthday. Um, so, so I feel no matter what the testing says, if it looks like COVID and it smells like COVID, it's COVID. So the fact that you lost your sense of smell and taste and the fact that you had the sweats and, you know, you probably had a version of it. The fact that you didn't have a bad version is wonderful. That's a good thing. Um, and your wife, oh, didn't, very lucky. your wife didn't get sick, I assume. No, my wife is, but she doesn't go out. And, no, but, know, she I, was, I, but she was near you. I was in Montana oh. uh, and just got back when they shut everything down. Uh, I'm sorry, not in Montana. What am I saying? I, I, I go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Right. I do an event in Jackson Hole. So I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. But, I remember. Um, and in Jackson Hole, there's still not a lot of cases. I remember but seeing. When I got on the plane, you know, the guy right next to me on the plane was wiping down everything. And But, you know, this whole thing, you learn something every day. 
several months ago, when I got home, I saw these masks that my wife had purchased. Literally, probably about 500 masks. I was like, to myself, I said, she, she's nuts. <laughs> and then I started reading about it. And they, yeah. and they basically said early on, yeah. you only should wear a mask if you think you have it. Right. Now, of course, they want everyone to wear a mask. And it makes sense if you think about it. Right, of course. And so I don't go out without a mask on. And I get upset when I see people just, you know, I, I live in a, a, a place right on the Hudson River. Right. Where it's a very popular place for bike riders. Uh-huh. And, and the bike riders, you know, they're, they're, they're exercising. Right. So when, when they speed by you, obviously, logically, they, they, you know, they could be spitting. They could, you know. Of course. So I, I, I feel much more protected when I got the mask on. But I understand in California, not a lot of people wearing masks. I went for a speed walk today. I passed four people. I was the only one. I was the fifth. I was the only one with a mask. And um, I mean, it's upsetting. You know, I, all, all I'm going to say about this is that from the very beginning, I've taken it seriously. That I really thought it was going to get worse before it got better. And it has. Mm -hmm. Except in New York City. Right. In New York City. We had the worst, the most deaths, the, the, the most cases, and now it's coming down. Except the the what, happens, what happens when the numbers come back from the protests, from the fact that they're opening the city up, that people are getting back on the subways, people are getting back on the buses, people are going into store. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine that the numbers, and, and People are traveling through New York to get to other places. The, the airplanes are packed again. They're packed. Right. Well, I, I, I mean, if I had to make, uh, when I see the protests, for instance. Right. You know, and I, I support the protesters, but mm -hmm. um, I think that's crazy. I think yeah. it's like, you know, if there's one thing that you shouldn't be doing is being on top of somebody screaming and yelling about, you know, whatever. But anyway. I, I agree with what you just said. I think the, the subways and, you know, even in the restaurants, I, we're going to be so hard pressed. There's so many things that we have to abide by to make sure it's safe. And of course, I'm, I'm watching other states and in Arizona mm -hmm. where they opened up too quick, too quickly. There have been restaurants, that are, you know, so, I mean, we're going to wait and we're going to see. Um, I think we're, we're just in phase one. Phase right. three is supposed to be the restaurant, but they've been talking about outdoor tables as soon as next week in New York, which oh, wow. I only have uh, one restaurant really, or two restaurants that can serve out outside. And by the way, you know, New York, you know, June is okay, but the first week of July, the temperature is terrible outside. I mean, it's, so I know. I, I, and then when the, when they finally open New York restaurants indoors, right. it's going to be at a 50% capacity. So, right. You know, so, so what what does that, what do you do, Drew? So you you've been closed for almost four months. It doesn't seem to. I mean, I know Tribeca Grill is a place where you do have some outdoor seating and you could do something. But um, how does how do you get through this? How do you get through this? How do you manage this? Well, you know, Vic, there are some good things. Uh, for instance, the staff of all my restaurants have been able to go on unemployment right. and get $600 plus the unemployment. Right. So in some cases, that's $1,100 a week for not working. Right. That's pretty They're doing generous. Right. 
but that's going to stop and so, in July. That's going to stop the 600. The 600 they think is going to stop in July. It's not 100% that it will, but let's just say that's the time that I will call back my staff for possibly a, an August reopening. I see. Um, the, the this there's something called the PPP um, where we did receive funds, but the original PPP was for eight weeks. Yeah. And we're already in the seventh of the eight week. So yeah. then they redid it. And now it's 24 weeks. Oh. But it's only 24 weeks from when you got the money. So then you have to do the math from we got the money May 1st. So we've lost, I would say, uh, 13 weeks. Wow. Almost three months. That's brutal. May, June, and July, we haven't been open. So we don't get the benefit, the full benefit of the 24 weeks. But we're, like today, I had a three-hour meeting just to try to figure this thing out. Look, at the end of the day, you know, part of living in New York City is you have to be a survivor. And that's, you know, my grandmother, you know, I come from a great family. My grandmother used to always say, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> so ever since I can remember, I probably saved the first dollar that I made. <laughs> so, you know, for, for a moment like this, you know, for a moment like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm fortunate. I realize I'm fortunate. I live in a beautiful place. I'd had, I've had successful businesses that made money. Mm -hmm. I saved the money. And now the impact on me, well, it would be greater if my employees were hurting. Right. If I had to pay all the back rent, which I have not paid. I've Is that paid any rent? Really? What's that? They're not. Yeah, I mean, I'm supposed to. Oh, oh, I see. But I haven't paid any. Okay. I'm supposed to. But mm -hmm. if the PPP comes through, the PPP is expressly for your staff payroll. Right. And for rent. So, I mean, you know, Donald Trump, he didn't, he didn't lose sight of the fact that his landlord friends should get paid during this period of time. No kidding. So they'll, they'll come out. Now, meanwhile, I still have to buy food, mm -hmm. beverage, Mm -hmm. uh, the PPE, meaning masks, mm -hmm. or other supplies. Right. So the profitability, not just of my restaurants, but any restaurants, is going to be so much less than what it was. Do you think, so you can, survive, you can survive because you were smart and you did save. How, I'm imagining this is going to impact a lot of restaurants I imagine a lot are not going to reopen, are not going to be able to reopen. Is is uh, is that? No, the there's already been there's already been quite a number of places that have already announced they're not going to reopen. You, you know, you have to keep in mind, New York was having a really good run. We were really busy. Every place was busy. Restaurants were very popular, and and this is just totally, you know, taking the air out of the balloon. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about how you uh, got so lucky, and and you're not lucky. I mean, oh, th th there's that saying, luck is, is opportunity meeting uh, perseverance, right? Um, so I know that you grew up in Stuyvesant Town, not, or, or was it Peter Cooper? Were you Peter Cooper or Stuyvesant? You were Peter, Peter Cooper. Cooper. Peter Cooper. So that's kind of a middle oh, class, right? Oh, that's where all the middle class, you know, yeah. and, and all the schools I could walk to my... Uh, Great schools, PS40, 104, and then even Stuyvesant, which was on 16th Street at the time, was a specialized high school, but I walked there. It was close by. So everything was local. Um, and your mom you know, was, was a great. 
uh, your father was was a liquor was your father a liquor distributor? Am I getting that no, right? No, 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 no. My 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 father worked for the state liquor authority, which licenses restaurants, liquor okay. licenses. And uh, he met, you know, back in the '60s, the restaurateurs were right off the boat, and the liquor authority was a very sort of a strange, you know, it's, it was a legal process for these people. And my father was a great guy and he made it easy on these people. And because he made it easy on these people, they, they invited us as a family to come to his rest, to their restaurants. And I'm talking about, you know, several dozens of restaurants, all kinds, Chinese and French and high class and some, you know, diners and luncheonettes, but every, every kind of restaurant that needed a liquor license and my father was kind to, they would invite us in for dinner. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as a kid, I, I watched that. Now, my mother was an actress and right. actually a very successful, very successful child actress mm -hmm. um, and on a program on radio. This was before television mm -hmm. called Let's Pretend, mm -hmm. which was like the Sesame Street of its era. Right. And uh, so my mother was a beautiful woman, mm -hmm. very flamboyant, very theatrical. My father was 16 years older than my mother. Oh, wow, I don't think I ever knew and, that. Yeah, and, and uh, but uh, terrific parents, you know, mm -hmm. like like really great parents. But I, I latched onto the restaurant business because I thought it was very theatrical. Mm -hmm. I thought the theater of it all, you know, the lighting and the design and the, you know, the, the, the actors, uh, which were the waiters. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the food was just, you know, unbelievable. So from a very early age, I realized that was going to be my, my destiny. And, oh. um, you know, so, but, but, you know, going to Stuyvesant high school, Stuyvesant, everybody goes to college from Stuyvesant. They're all brilliant kids there. Right. So I was like number 569 out of 700. I was like, you know, my <laughs> grades were like 84, you know, I didn't, I didn't have great grades. So yeah. when I applied to college, I was applying to like, you know, uh, Albany, Harper, all the state universities. But wait a minute, you went and, to Cornell. Stop. Well, no, no. But then what happened was, there, my mother uh, started talking with a friend of mine's mother. She said, "Oh, Drew likes you know restaurants. He likes food. Mm -hmm. There's a hotel school at Cornell." Right. So my mother is telling me this, and I'm like, "Mom, <laughs> it's Cornell. <laughs> you know, it's an Ivy League school. I'm not getting in there. That's not mm -hmm. happening." So what happened was in my homeroom where everyone was applying to Princeton, Yale, and Harvard, they went to Har uh, Harper and Albany and Rochester, whatever, and I went to Cornell. And I got into Cornell. I don't know how I got into Cornell, but and I went four years at Cornell, which which was fantastic because I was 18 years old, mm -hmm. and I was walking down the corridor uh, of the school uh, right near where the dean's office was. Mm -hmm. And there was a little sign posted, which said, I'm looking for six waiters experienced in Russian service to sail to the following ports, Leningrad, Oslo, Stockholm, Copenhagen, Dublin. And I'm like reading this thing. And they were looking for waiters mm -hmm. to get on the MS Vistifjord, which was a first class, a 600 seat passenger cruise ship. Uh -huh. I had no experience. None. I had no experience. I called the number. I lied. I said I had experience in Russian service, and they hired me. And so in 1974, at the age of 18, 
I got on a cruise ship where the dining room was 600 passengers, like a football field. Right. 600 people. Right. right. The kitchen was in, 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 you had to take an escalator to the kitchen. And I was the only one out of 60 waiters who did not know how to carry a tray. You know, they're carrying the tray like on, you know, on their, and I'm holding the tray with two hands like this. So it was like being outed, you know, and, and, but, you know, that was the greatest experience of a lifetime. It was like going, you know, it was like a military experience because you traveled to all these amazing places, you know, went to Russia when I was 18. And then I, I wound up going back on this cruise ship. Uh, over the four years I went to Cornell, I went on Christmas cruises to the Caribbean, on uh, uh, North Cape Baltic Sea cruises, on Mediterranean cruises. So it, it really gave me an opportunity to travel. Plus, the food on these ships was unbelievable. It was like the wow. most beautiful food you've ever seen. Wow. So I established, you know, an experience like none mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's, I think, the bedrock of what I applied. Even while I was going to school, mm -hmm. uh, I realized I was very fortunate to have this experience. And didn't you also, I might be getting this wrong, didn't you study in France, in Paris at some point? Did, is that, am I getting that wrong? No, no. Well, I mean, I didn't, but it would have been nice. I, <laughs> I hated Paris. I guess it was the, the, the cruise ship thing. I just remember you uh, being it's very, very romantic. <laughs> it is. Well, the cruise ship actually didn't go to Paris. Okay. But, um, when, you know, when I, I, I guess I'm trying to think. Um, yeah. Well, you and I, we met, what, what was the year in 1980 something? We were 22 years old. We were 22 years old when we met. We had just both gotten right. out of college. Just. We were just out of, out right. of school, really. So it was 19... Right. 78? 78, 78 yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so 78, I was 23, you're right. Yeah, you had just turned 23, 23 and, and I was about to turn 23. So yeah, we were- so I, was, I was making, I, I was the assistant restaurant director at Maxwell's Plum, <laughs> making 300 a week, and you were working there making 300 a day. Well, not quite, but I was- Back also, in I also lied to get the job and said that I'd done it. And I also had to carry a tray like this up and down stairs. And I also started out carrying right. the tray like this, outed, having no idea how to do it. But I, I learned quickly. Right. You had to. Well, what you have to understand about that experience for both of us was it was so exceptional because the place itself was, you know, so amazing, charismatic and clever. Talk about it a What's little that? bit. You talk about Maxwell's Plum a little bit because these people, a lot of these people, don't know about Maxwell's Plum. Well, I, you know, the, it, it's 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 an interesting thing because in New York, it was such a hot place, it was such an important place, and there's nothing like it right now. There's no. absolutely nothing like it. It, mm -hmm. it. First of all, as a ambient place or a place to go, mm -hmm. I mean, it was stunning. I mean, you had. Uh, a replica of uh, what he called the sidewalk cafe, because back then New York didn't want to have sidewalk cafes. You weren't allowed to have sidewalk cafes. Right. And quite frankly, it was an enclosed cafe. It wasn't really, I right. mean, it, it was built out on the street, but it was enclosed. Right. But it created, and then there were all these uh, Tiffany uh, animals hanging from the ceiling and the bar, which by the way, sits at Tribeca Grill. Now I have the bar at Tribeca Grill um, because I bought it at auction. 
-hmm. for the Tribeca Grill. It's been a Tribeca Grill for 30 years. But uh, that was in the middle of the restaurant. And then in the back, he replicated Maxime's of Paris, which was, you know, Maxime's is one of the most beautiful restaurants in the world back then. Right. You know, Warner Leroy, who was the owner, he ripped off everything. He was a, he was a, 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 a very creative guy, but he was a ripoff artist. I mean, you know, right. he basically got his designers and said, see that, rip that off, you know, that just, so the ceiling in the back room at Maxwell's was this Tiffany glass ceiling illuminated by, I think about a thousand lights. And it was, I mean, it was stunning. It was just absolutely gorgeous. So we worked there. You had a great personality, which is probably one of the reasons they hired you because, you know, there were so many characters who worked there. There's so many individuals, you know, that were like, you know, they're, they're indelible in my memory um, with uh, how crazy they were, but they added to the ambience of the place. And and New York will never have a restaurant like this, never. I mean, I, I don't know why, but it's not of this era. It was of that era. And, uh, but, you know, it was an incredible place. And, uh, you know, in my, my lifetime, I've been very fortunate because my job experiences before opening my own restaurants have always been uh, feet to the fire kind of things. Like, like understand that Maxwell's was 250 seats. Right. With a kitchen that's not even the size of my bedroom. <laughs> so, and, 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 the, and the number of items on the menu were- Oh my ridiculous. God. Yeah, yeah. There were like 100, 100 items on the menu. Right. And so, and, and, and so to just to, to, to be able to get that food out of the kitchen in such a fashion, it was delicious food. It was wonderful food, and um, and and the place was breaking down every day, and there was some kind of scheme, or you know, somebody was selling drugs, or, you know, amphetamines, whatever. You know, there was always so many things going on. The maitre d's were stealing money from the customer, and I mean, you know, the, the shenanigans was unbelievable. So for me, I was like I said, twenty three. It was a great proving grounds. It was terrific. And then I left you. You still were there. But I went to Tavern on the Green, which was also owned by Warner. And Tavern on the Green was a bigger fantasy uh, installation uh, right in the middle of Central Park. Um, and under Warner Leroy, I mean, it's existed after Warner Leroy. And of course, Warner right. Leroy is no longer with us. He's, he's not around. But after Warner Leroy, they, 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 they screwed it up. You know, they, they destroyed it. We went to we went to lunch there with with um, with uh, Robert, Robert Wolf, and um, Robert and it was we had a lovely lunch. I mean, it was lovely. It was a lovely lunch, but it was certainly very different. No, no, it's, the, the place is wonderful. Yes, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. They had a room called the Crystal Room. Right. I mean, magnificent would be a modest way to describe it. It was Absolutely. a glass enclosed room with these wonderful chandeliers. It was stunning. Yeah. When Warner died, they did an RFP, a request for a proposal from other restaurateurs. Uh -huh. The restaurateur they chose. And he could not make a deal with the union. He couldn't make a deal with the union. So the city was being run by Michael Bloomberg, mm -hmm. who was pissed off. And guess what? He knocked down the crystal room. He it, knocked it down. He's the one so, that knocked it down? Bloomberg. Not only did he knock it down, but, which is why I couldn't, you know, support him for president. No, I'm joking. But not only did he knock it down, but in the interim, when after he knocked it down, right. they put food trucks there. And for like a year, they were serving, you know, Turkish tacos and some stupidity like that. So then 
it, it got taken over by some guys from Philadelphia. Um, and they rebuilt what they were allowed to build, which was like a small version. I mean, like nothing like the crystal room. Right. And so it, 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 it reopened and it exists. I mean, but it's nothing like, you know, what, what, yeah. And we went there. It wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. It was bad. So, so and I just want to mention Warner Leroy was Mervyn Leroy's son, who who was the director of The Wizard of Oz. Right. It, so he had right. that whole sort of show busy mentality going on. Oh yeah, which he definitely put forth. So, Drew, when you when you were working at Maxwell's in a tavern, what was the what was the dream? Because I know what you've lived, but what was the dream then? What if what was your highest aspiration when you were being a restaurant manager, I know you wanted to open your own place, but what did you what did you foresee? Did you have a vision? I, going back all the way to when I was younger, you know, like mm -hmm. a little kid, it was always about I will own my own restaurant. But I got out of Cornell in 1977, mm -hmm. and I had interviewed I think three fairly prominent places. Mm -hmm. Nobody offered me a job, mm -hmm. so I went back on the cruise ship. When I got off the cruise ship, Maxwell's Plum offered me this job. I right. worked one summer there. So they offered uh -huh. me the job, and I took the job at $300 a week. <laughs> then I, from Maxwell's, I went to the Tavern on the Green, where I was making $550. Is that true? But, yeah, $550. But then we, we created something with a profit share thing, and we made so much money that oh. they screwed us. Because, you know, we just, we, 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 with the profit share, we made so much money because we, we made the place great. We, we, we really did. Right. And they offered us a deal where it was kind of like, fuck, and F you, you know? And so I basically said, thank you very much. I'm going to take my services elsewhere. At that point, you know, you say to yourself, am I ever going to be able to open my own restaurant? Because I didn't have a, uh, the money to do it. Right. And then um, in 1983, I ran the New York Marathon. So in training for the New York Marathon, I was running all throughout the city. Right. And one day I was running in lower Manhattan, you know, and it was very desolate, very quiet. Mm -hmm. I would read the New York Times Sunday business opportunities. Mm -hmm. And there was a tiny little classified 1500 square feet for $1,500 a month, lower Manhattan, West Broadway. I jogged over there. I saw it. Now, fifteen hundred a month is eighteen thousand a year. I was like, I think I can afford this. I took a look at the space. Mm -hmm. I signed the lease, and I had no money. And you had no chef. You had no. You had no anything. You just, I'm going to do this. Say it again. You had no chef. You had no concept. No, 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 no. But but I had, I, I had a, I, I, I kind of, look, when I left the Tavern on the Green, I did something very interesting. I went back and started working in French restaurants as a captain. I worked at Le Perigord, La Reserve, Le Régence, and La Grenouille. And they were great French restaurants. Mm -hmm. And by the way, back then, 
and a white guy who doesn't speak fluent French was not, you I wasn't capable to, to get a job like that. But I did get a job like that. Right. So now I'm working in all these restaurants, very mm -hmm. expensive restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to the customer and I hear the customer and they're, they're like these cliches. Like, you know, I want my duck crisp or I want my lamb pink. And they were over and over again, the same things. Right. So I said, you know, when I'm going to open my own restaurant, I'm just going to do an American restaurant because American cuisine started to become a little bit more interesting, sourcing the products in Michigan or Florida or California. But one night I was at La Grande and I was pouring a bottle of very expensive white burgundy and I realized why reinvent the wheel? Montrachet. Montrachet is the greatest white burgundy. Montrachet is the great white wine. Montrachet, that's what I'm going to call my restaurant. So when I saw this space on West Broadway, mm -hmm. it was always Montrachet. But guess what I did? I did the crazy Eddie of restaurants. <laughs> Also, I was working at La Grande where the price, the three courses was $75. Right. When I opened Montrachet, I charged 16. How and the food was magnificent. I, I was many times. How the hell did you do that? How did you do that? Because I would not be undersold. <laughs> no, I mean, the whole point was I could... Because I had I'd gone to Cornell, I'd, I'd, I'd learned the disciplines. I was going to manage the cost. I wasn't going to rip anybody off. I was going to, you know, and 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 rent obviously was uh, reasonable. Right. I didn't have a buck to spend in the interior, so it was a plain Jane. Right. But here's here's what happened, Vicky. Seven weeks after we opened, we opened in April of 1985. In June 7th, 1985, seven weeks later. We got three stars from the New York Times. Three stars was like winning the lottery without being able to collect the cash. Oh my God. It was like an out of, I could have filled, I could have filled Shea Stadium. It was, the phone never stopped ringing because I was charging $16 and we got three stars. We got three stars. How did and you, guess what? What? Well, I still have that restaurant. Yes, you do. 30. Five years later, I still have the space. Mm -hmm. It's no longer called Montrachet, but when Montrachet closed after 22 years, it morphed into something called Corton. That got three stars also. Yes, it did. When Corton closed after eight years, it morphed into something called Bittard, which is what it is now, and mm -hmm. that got three stars. Mm -hmm. So for 35 years, I've had three stars in the one location. Three stars. It, it's unbelievable. Crazy. How did you, Drew, how did you get your first chef? You were an unknown restaurateur. How did you get that first chef? Like, how did you know how to get him and how did you get him? Okay, it's not, you know, my mother, when she went from acting mm -hmm. in her later life, she became a casting director. So I went a casting over, director? yes, I know. Yeah. Okay, she so what, you know, they have to yeah. find the right person. Right. I, I, knew, I knew good food. That was the most important thing. Right. And then... After I ran the New York Marathon, this was very interesting, actually. In 1983, November of 1983, uh, maybe four days after I ran the marathon, I got on a plane and I went to the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And I did this whirlwind trip up the coast from San Diego to Los Angeles, Francisco, La Jolla, everything, looking at California restaurants because they were hot. Spago had just opened, Michael's in Santa Monica. And the last day I was in San Francisco, Somebody, a friend of mine had told me about this chef, David Boulay. Boulay! <laughs> and 
I went to the restaurant where he was a sous chef. Right. He proceeded to make me a meal that was unbelievable. And we started talking. And the rest is history. Now, David Boulay is one of the most accomplished chefs in America. Mm-hmm. He's a pain in the butt. <laughs> I actually wound up firing him, but that's a whole nother story for another podcast. But anyway, the, the reality is, um, you know, what we did in 1985, that food at that price, nobody. It's like there's nothing even close to that today. Not even close. So, I, I mean, I, so when you say, that. how did I know? How did I find? After, I, after thousands of meals and eating that one meal in San Francisco at the very last part of my trip, boom. It was so special was, that I realized that I wanted to collaborate with David Boulay. You you also have very good instincts all the, all across the board for for food, but you also cook. I mean, I, you've cooked for me. I was mentioning this to everybody yesterday. And by the way, hi everybody. I see all your questions, but I'm focused on Drew. Uh, you know how to cook. W- was that something instinctual, or did you did you t- did you learn to cook in school? Yes, I mean, you know, I was like, I you know, I used to babysit, and when I babysat, I would read the books at my at the people's house. Mm-hmm. A lot of them had Julia Child's cookbook, <laughs> so I read the Julia Child cookbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was a terrible cook, <laughs> so I would come home and cook most of the meals because my mother was terrible. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I actually remember for you, we once had dinner together, and I made rack of lamb, and we, we drank 1982 Chateau Margot. I told everybody that bottle would be about, <laughs> well, so today that bottle would be like $2,000. It was unbelievable. Back then, back then I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I nicked that bottle from the wine cellar at Maxwell's Point. <laughs> good score. Good, good, good score. So they had, a, they, had, they had a great wine list. Oh, an unbelievable wine list. An unbelievable. And, and you have wonderful wine lists at your restaurant as well. And uh, oh, yeah, no, we have Grand Award. Uh, you know, the, the Grand Award for the Wine Spectator is a very prestigious award. And Tribeca Grill has a Grand Award. And, um, I used to have three. It used to be Montrachet, Tribeca Grill, and Rubicon. You know, I had a restaurant in San Francisco for 14 years. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest charity I ever gave to. <laughs> but Robin Williams was my partner. Robin Williams was my partner in San Francisco. Francis Ford Coppola, Robert De Niro. Tremendous. Okay, let's talk about Bobby D. Let's talk about how that partnership started. I, I happened to be there. I don't know if you remember this. But the day that you were celebrating your deal of Tribeca Grill and you gave him a, a, a piece of cake and it said Tribeca Grill and he was sitting with Tukey Smith. I was at the next table celebrating my birthday, getting sung happy birthday to and Robert uh, was right there. And it was that very day. So how did how, how did that partnership start? Well, when, you know, Montrachet got the three stars, everybody wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. So De Niro, even to this day, he does this. You know, he has his assistant's book in three different restaurants. And then at the last minute, he chooses where he wants to go, <laughs> yeah. which I hate, which I hate. I hate yeah. that. So uh, he comes in and he used to always want to sit all the way in the back, mm-hmm. which is the worst table in the whole restaurant, is back to the room. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't know it was him. Right. Tookie, on the other hand, was very vivacious, very lively. <laughs> and so one night they were in and they go like this. Tookie looked at me and she said, Bob wants to know. If you'd like to open another restaurant in Tribeca, I go, are you talking to me? Because there ain't nobody else here. 
<laughs> and, 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 and De Niro and I walked up the block and we looked at this cavernous former coffee house called, it was a, it, they used to make Park, uh, Martinson coffee there. Oh, wow. And that would later be the digs for the Tribeca Grill, which we opened in 1990, 30 years ago. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so. And, and, and by the way, that restaurant, that restaurant, Bill Murray, Sean Penn, Mikhail Baryshnikov, <laughs> Christopher Walken, Ed Harris. Have I dropped a few names? But they're all your partners, right? They're all invested, correct? They're all investors, and then there are a few that are in prison, but I, I won't name them. <laughs> well, I know Harvey Weinstein was there every oh, day. Oh, <laughs> no more, no more. No we more. actually, that was the best move I made. We got rid of him, quite frankly. Yeah. So so also, uh, Tribeca Grill has, has, a, has a room upstairs, a private room. And I know that some crazy That's things right. happened in that private room, like you've played washboard with Bruce Springsteen in that private room. So what what I wanted to touch on next is that your clientele, even before Nobu, has always been celebrity crazy. Um, uh, you and I know each other from before you had this success. We always liked celebrity. Maxwell's Plum was a mecca for celebrity. I mean, that's everybody who was anybody came to Maxwell's Plum, and I assumed Tavern on the Green as well. So you have managed right. to not only live your dream of having the restaurant of your dreams, but you've also managed to fill your life with the people that thrill you and inspire you, right? Bruce being one. Yeah. I mean, I marvel at all the guests that you have. It's really kind of interesting to see the guests that you have on. The um, Tribeca Film Festival always has their uh, premier opening luncheon, Jura's Lunch right. at Tribeca Grill. So there we get to, see, get to see, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and Ron Howard and Julian Schnabel and, you know, uh, John Mann, Ham and, uh, I mean, you name it. You know, that, over the years, Tribeca Film Festival, everybody's shown up for that. Nelson Mandela, when he got out of prison, he came to the Tribeca Grill when they had the parade for him in New wow. York. That was extraordinary. Um, but we've had quite a, you know, it's just unbelievable. And then if you go to YouTube, uh, I play five songs with Bruce Springsteen. Yes. I'm on the washboard. Yes, um, so I don't know how many people can post that, but that's, that's pretty extraordinary because I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And he does a charity uh, for his manager, Barbara Carr. Their daughter died of uh, sarcoma cancer back in 92. Mm. And we've done a, a, an event for them every year. Um, for you know the uh, Kristen Ann Carr Foundation. So I, I've been in the pit. Uh, the, the the only Springsteen concert I ever went to was with you, and we were in the pit. So that was that was pretty wonderful. But I know you've you've traveled like the world to see Bruce, haven't you? Haven't you seen him all over the world? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not. I, I, I just want to point out that even though I've been to a lot of concerts, I'm I'm not totally nuts. But I, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid uh, i would say about 14 years old mm -hmm. i love going to the fillmore east yeah, because the fillmore east was on second avenue and mm -hmm. so the first show i ever saw which is in mm -hmm. 1970 mm -hmm. was janis joplin and it's and, and it was built like this it was janis joplin and her band mm -hmm. and then below it said the grateful dead so i thought it was janis joplin and her band the grateful dead which of course <laughs> it wasn't yeah it was, you know two different bands but anyway that's number one then at the Fillmore, 
I'll never forget, um, Bill Graham comes down and he goes, I'd like to introduce a new talent on our shores, Mr. Eldon John. And that was in 1970 also. And Eldon John was opening for Leon Russell. And what preceded, uh, you know, is what, what, I never saw a show like that. It was unbelievable. I saw Rod Stewart when he was in the Jeff Beck group. Mm -hmm. The Who would be unbelievable at the Fillmore. And the crazy thing about the Fillmore, it was very short-lived. The Fillmore East was very short-lived, mm -hmm. but I got to see a bunch of shows. And Vicky, I used to smuggle a Sony tape recorder into the shows, and I taped the shows. You took, you have so, those, don't you? So I, I do, but listen, this is crazy. So I was, I was always thinking, like, I have these bootlegs of these great shows. Right. And it wasn't easy. I mean, I took a, a briefcase, and you know, think about it. It wasn't easy. <laughs> And 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 then when Bill Graham died in a helicopter crash, mm -hmm. they found out that he had a vault, and he had taped everything, oh. and the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West, and it's on the internet as Wolfgang's Vault because his real name was Wolfgang Wolfgang Grzynka. Uh not Bill Graham. His real name was Wolfgang Grzynka. So if you go on Wolfgang's Vault. Almost every show that I taped is on there. You're making me crazy. Except, yeah. Except. Except, and by the way, other other live shows. Right. Like I, 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 I've been listening to like Crosby, Stills and Nash uh, played 19, June 4, 1970. And I mean, the, the music, I, I went to see Laura Nero, uh, Miles Davis, Neil Young, B.B. Uh, King, Delaney, Bonnie and Delaney, Eric Clapton, you know, all these amazing shows. And the tickets were 550, 450, and 350. Mm -hmm. For 550, they gave you a program. Mm -hmm. And there were three bands, Paul Butterfield. I mean, the, 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 so honestly, I would have probably preferred to go into music. But I realized at a very early age that the music business was cutthroat. And the restaurant business was not. And, oh. and I've lived my life as... As a, as a restaurateur, and I would say it is the least cutthroat of any business I've ever seen. Wow. And the, the vast majority, and I mean almost everybody, is pleasant, nice. There, there are a couple of scummy people, but not, not that terrible. And in the music business, I mean, it's horrific. I mean, you know, you read stories and you hear stories and, you know. So I, I made the right decision. But the only thing I was going to say is the Tribeca Film Festival... Uh, uh, they had a movie, Cameron Crowe did a movie about Elton oh, no. John when he reformed with Leon Russell a couple years later. This is many years ago. It's a couple years ago now, but it, it, it was at the Tribeca Film Festival and I found, you know, I had taped the Leon Russell concert with Elton John. That was not on this Wolfgang's Vault. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I put it on a CD and I gave it to Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin came to that show. He's like, where did you get this? I was like, I taped it. It was me. I, you know, I went to the show. So think about it. That was 50 years ago. Oh my God. And, oh you know, God. so I have all these tapes. It's, I have a, like a little suitcase and, you know, I, and that was my that passion. Is, I have to check that out that, my... you know, because I, we were very much in like, like living because I was going to the Fillmore East also. We were both like 14 going to the Fillmore East, 15 yeah. years old. Yeah. And I, I was going to all the shows you weren't going to. I saw Jethro Tull and Leon Russell and all these other shows that Emerson Lake and Palm, all this other stuff. I but saw... anyway, I saw Jethro Tull on the night he had laryngitis, and he did like a thirty-minute flute, uh, like a thirty-minute flute solo. <laughs> well, yeah, amazing. 
it so but you you've managed to incorporate that into your dream i mean the the, the food business is your business but be, through it you've met all your hero your your music heroes and you serve them so uh so let's talk about how how nobu came to pass how, how did nobu happen who's Bre i believe that yeah, was I mean, it's well what happened basically was when de niro and i um you know de niro was a customer right uh but at, at, at montrachet but then he when he proposed the tribeca grill right he said i i think i have somebody to be the chef and i said well who who would that be you know because my mother's a casting director so now he's casting the restaurant right right yeah, somebody and he goes nobu matsui said i'm thinking to myself nobu fuck you know the guy's <laughs> japanese we're not opening a japanese restaurant but we flew nobu in he looked mm -hmm. at uh the tribeca grill and he goes like this he goes he bows maybe one day i have a nice sushi bar with you and i saw the friendship between nobu and De Niro, and I said, you know what? I'm going to make this happen. So uh, right up the block, in between, really, Montreux and Tribeca Grill, right. a space availed itself right on the corner of Hudson and uh, Franklin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I signed the lease, and I called Nobu. And this is actually a, a too long a story, so I'm only going to say Nobu's now open since 1994. Mm -hmm. It's easily the most successful restaurant in the last 25 years. It's unbelievable. And, and there's there's 50 Nobus around the world. And it's unbelievable. I think there's nothing like Nobu. There is nothing like Nobu. Nobu. I mean, Nobu in your neck of the woods in Malibu is just off the track. Okay, I haven't even been there. It, out of my, I, I have not, it's disgusting. I have not been there. But I've been to your Nobus more times than I can count. Thank you. Thanks to you. Okay. I think you have to, you know, make sure that you look at your Rolodex. Who lives in Malibu, and, and you, you you better go like in the next two weeks. I, I they reopened. I know they reopened. They reopened. I'm shocked. Malibu shocked. is reopened. Yes. I'm yeah, I'm not reopened. I'm not ready to do that, but that's where that's the first place I want to go. I've been trying. No, to you know, Vicky, it's right on the ocean. I know. So if you get a table outside, you're actually in pretty good shape. Probably. You know, it scares me about eating sushi in COVID because. They have to make it with their hands. And I know they're wearing gloves. No, you know, I went over that. Uh, the, the, the sushi chefs are wearing gloves. But still, if they're wearing gloves and they touch their face and then they touch the thing, I don't know. It makes uh, me. You know, you know, you know I, I'm not going to discount what you're saying, but luckily, so far, anyway, we don't have any instances of that. You know, we don't have any cases of that. So let's just hope, let's just hope that that's not the way it's transferred. Right. I, they don't think it's transferred th through, uh, what is that well, called? They're, they're, yes. I think we'd have, we, we would have heard something by now. I'm sure. So, so Drew. Especially with even, you know, all the food. I mean, the essential workers at the grocery stores, there's no difference between food at a grocery store and food at a restaurant. Well, there are grocery workers who are getting sick. That's happening across the country at different grocery That's stores. Mm -hmm. So there is That's that. True. But that isn't ingesting it. I haven't heard of anybody ordering takeout and getting sick. I don't think I've. I don't think right. that's been documented. No, no, nothing, nothing like that. But how do you protect your workers? Like when they're when you have your chefs back there, when you have your sushi chefs back there, how do they protect from each other? Because it's a pretty confined space where they're. Look, we hope. We hope 
the masks are a very essential part of not transferring droplets. You know, that's, the, the masks are huge. Right. And then obviously everybody talks about social distancing. So when we're open now for the takeout, we are socially distancing. But even that, you know, sometimes, you know, in a situation you get a little too close. But so again, so far there are no instances. Do you have somebody outside? Are people getting their food outside the restaurant? How, how does it work? Oh, no. If somebody orders takeout, we bring okay. it outside the restaurant. Right. Nobody that's comes right. Right. That's yeah. Nobody comes inside. So, Drew, if you had. Look. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just. No, go ahead. Finish your thought because I'm moving on to something no, else. No, 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 no. What I was going to ask is, you know, you've had. You've had uh, eating with your was it Moroccan was did you, was it a Moroccan restaurant you had in Tribeca? What was Layla. Place called Layla, Middle Layla. Eastern, Middle Eastern. Yeah. Middle Eastern. Okay, so you've done Middle Eastern. Yeah. You had you had that incredible uh, bread store. Oh my God, that was maybe the best bread I've ever yeah, had. We had. A wonderful bakery. Oh my God! Okay. So you had a great bakery. You've had you have a, a cigar place. Um, yeah, that was <laughs> we had a great chef for that place. So. I don't regret that, but it was, that was I used to smoke cigars. I don't smoke anymore. Oh, really? I've never known you not to smoke cigars. Oh, I oh, God. No, I haven't smoked for years. I what? actually, you know, I had I got lung, I got um, blood clots, so I, I had blood, blood clots in my lungs. Oh. So that was it for cigars. That was done. I started smoking right around nine eleven, because actually somebody had given me a bunch of cigars, but then I said. And I love cigars. For a you while. didn't smoke anyway, back in the days in, in Maxwell's Plum when we used to have all the Cuban cigars. You didn't smoke cigars back in those days. Uh, back then, I didn't smoke. Smoke marijuana. Me too. Yeah, I was telling yeah. everybody that we we saw Animal House together first run. <laughs> we stayed and watched it twice. We were very high up in the balcony. <laughs> that was terrific. Yeah. So so if you had. Um, if you could do one more restaurant that was a complete departure from everything else you've done, is there something else that calls to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the longest time, I used to tell people I wanted to do a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I honestly, look, I have I have ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, I, I think people have a certain time. And place mm -hmm. and my time and place is up, so I'm I'm, I'm passing the baton to the next generation. Um, I, I honestly like this whole thing with the COVID and everything. It's 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 a little bit of it, it, it might pre. I, I was thinking about retiring, but now I'm gonna have to think even stronger about retiring because look, I've never been driven by making money. I don't care what. I've been very fortunate. I've I've made money, but right. I've never made crazy money. Some of my partners have made crazy money, but that's okay. I don't count their money. But mm -hmm. the bottom line is I've got a wonderful family, two beautiful kids. I've got a great wife, same wife for, for, for all these years. She's 30, not, 30 how many years? Like 30, 38 years? 35, I think, or something okay. like that. I think it's going to be 30. Actually, well, Andrew's 32. I think it's 33 years now. Okay. One more year. My son is 32. But you know, so the point is, you know, I'm, I'm this, the restaurant business is stupid. It's a stupid business. And we took a stupid business. We made it slightly better. Mm -hmm. We made better food. When all this stuff happened, 
And I saw my friend Danny Meyer with all, all these restaurants. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that poor guy. I mean, can you imagine? It's like when we go to reopen the restaurant, it's going to be like starting from scratch. Can you imagine doing that 20 times or 30 times? Yeah. Come on. That's going to be brutal. Mm -hmm. Brutal. Mm -hmm. So, no, it's, you know, I had my day in the sun. I, I hope I, I know uh, you wrote a book. I'd like to write a book. Um, I want the book made into a movie. Harvey, Harvey and Bob Boyce, they won't be producing it. <laughs> Those days are gone. But, but I know enough people where I think my story is interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll see. We'll see. You know, see what happens. So it's going to end up going full circle. You're going to end up kind of back where your mother started you uh, in showbiz. You know, you know, it's funny you said that, Vicky, because, you know, my, my, our parents, all of our parents are important. Mm -hmm. But my mother, you know, she you know, she she said those things that you have to hear as a child, you know, like, you know, if, if you do something, be the best at what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, and little things like that. It's like it stuck with me. I mean, you know, and then when I was a kid in the 60s, there was Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. You know, he used to say, I am the greatest. And I was like, this guy is pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, I live, you know, like, let's do something as as good as we possibly can do. And I did. I, I, I achieved that moment. I yes, tried to achieve it more than once. I mean, I don't care what you say. Nobu is one of the greatest accomplishments that anybody could have made. Now, of course, you know, it, it lives on, it lives on in some cases without me, but on my, on my tombstone, it's going to probably read, uh, Drew Nipporn, he brought Japanese food to America. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty so, good you know, Listen, the, the, the whole thing is, I look at my life, I never got sued. I didn't hurt anybody. I wasn't mean to people. I respected everybody. Mm -hmm. And still, still, every day when you wake up, you have to make sure that you're thinking, you know, cross the street if you see a problem. I mean, it's like it's, all the instincts have to be there. You know, you have to, I, 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 that part of it I haven't lost, you know, but. I want to talk about I, that for a minute, minute, Drew, because uh, uh, I worked with you 42 years ago and somebody that I worked with 42 years ago is still on your staff, Modesto. What do you call him? You don't call him a death. Yeah. He, his name is Miguel Cruz. But Miguel. I spoke to him the other day. He's doing great. You know, and the thing. And, 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 can I tell you something? He's like exactly the same. Yeah. I, I, it's I, like, I, I've never seen a human being that's like exactly the same. He is. and He smiles every day. He's a good person. I mean, he's and wonderful. And well, was there until recently. And I just, you know, your, your sense of loyalty to people and the fact that I, I think that's a huge part of your success is that you instill that in others and you respect it yourself. And um, you're my, my daughter's boss and uh, you've treated her. She, with, she was terrific. You've treated her. She, she with was numbers. terrific. And uh, yeah, she's thrilled. I mean, she went from being a little hostess and now she worked, she became a, do you know, she became a bartender the, the two days before everything shut down. She had worked oh, bar, oh yeah. but anyway, you, she, comes from, she comes from good stock. You've been a very, uh, I, I think a lot of the secret of your success is just the person that you are and what you bring to 
the re you have a lot of integrity and um, and loyalty, and I think that means a lot in in the world of success. Um, so I um I uh oh I lost Drew. Oh no, where did he go? I I, I, I had do not disturb on, but I got disturbed. Oh, uh, there. I had do not disturb on, but I just got disturbed. <laughs> All right. Can well, you hear me? yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. I can't hear you. Really? All right. I can hear you. Uh, oh shit. Okay. Now I can. Can you uh, hear me? Yes. Yes. I can't hear you. Well, I can hear you. So I'm. Um, I'm. I'll I, let you. I, I, I can hear you, but I can't hear you. All right. So I'm going to let you go. I'm going to say goodbye. And thank okay, you. Okay, Vicky, thank you. And whoever watched this, eat downtown. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Vic. Take care. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. So, everybody, um, that is uh, my friend Drew Neeporent. Neeporent. And um, I will see you tomorrow on Shooting the Shit with Vicky. And I'm trying to see how to get rid of his little thing here, and I don't know how to do it. But anyway, um, thank you all for joining me today. Uh, Drew is truly one of my closest and dearest friends, and I'm so glad that I got a chance to share him with you. I'm trying to get rid of his little screen, and I don't know, I don't know how to do it. Um, uh, oh, I don't know how to get rid of his screen. But oh, he's back. <laughs> but anyway. Um, I didn't. So thank you. I'm uh, I'm reading your comments now. Uh, before I go, I'm just going to see what uh, what you guys had to say. Um, so loved it. Bye. Thank you. No food from Chinese markets. That's right, Tova. Um, this is making I know I want sushi now. I don't know about you guys, but I have to order some sushi, I think. Hi, Suzanne. God, my friend from college is on here. Um, I wish I would have been old enough to go to the Fillmore East. It was amazing. Oh, Anne, you would have loved the Fillmore East. It was the best venue I've ever been to. Uh, yes, Bobby De Niro, Linda. Um, hi, Toby. Um, anyway, Leslie, hi. Didn't you kiss Jimmy Connors in, uh, not in Drew's restaurants. I, I kissed Jimmy Connors at Maxwell's Plum, actually, where we both worked. Drew was already gone, but I was there. Yes, Montrachet was amazing. La Grumouille, yes, excellent. Your high school ring says, uh, was luncheon was a tavern on the green. Oh, wow. Um, yes, tavern was a very popular wedding. Uh, I, I, Tony, I can't believe you got married there to Mitch. Oh, my God. Um, that is crazy. Drew probably oversaw the thing. And I'm sure Mitch knows Drew. Um, Maxwell's Plum Place to See and Be Seen. Absolutely. I used to go on Friday nights. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Hi, Cynthia. Um all right, so I'm quickly drive by to see how they were doing. Not very well, bad social distancing. Where are you talking about, Leslie? Outdoor seating, I don't know where you're talking about, Leslie. Um, yes, Drew got COVID. Uh, well, I don't know if he got it in Jackson Hole, but um, he got it on his way back, it appears. Anyway, uh, that's your questions for today. Um, I'm excited to, to recap with you guys um, tomorrow. Maybe we can do a little bit now. What time is it? It's still kind of early. So we could talk a little bit. If you guys have questions uh, about Drew, uh, he's gone, but maybe I can answer if you want to know anything. But I don't know. I kind of feel like we we shot it. We, we shot the uh, You're Hungry Sam. Yes, so am I. Um, the Fillmore East, by the way, was the most extraordinary con concert venue I have ever been to to this day. Um, I, as I said, I, I saw Edgar Winter's White Trash. I saw with Johnny open for Johnny Winter. I saw the Jay Giles Band. I saw Jethro Tull. 
brought benefit and they debuted Aqualung the day I was there. Um, I saw some incredible concerts at the Fillmore East and I was not quite 15 when I was going to shows there. So Drew and I are almost the same age. He's about three or four months older than I am. Um, you de bomb. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Um, yeah, I, uh, Oh, thanks. Thanks, Anne. This is so, should I, see now, now I have to make, Anne said great top and I have to tell you, now I got to tell you that I've, I've had it for about 10 years. I've worn it a gazillion times and I can't, my, my stylist will be mortified that I'm showing my arms. He likes me to cover my arms, but it was too hot. Um, yeah, the Fillmore Poco, Linda Ronstadt. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, that's where outdoor dining opened up this past weekend. Oh, a tavern on the green, Leslie, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, Drew and uh, Robert Wall and I went to tavern on the green, I, I'd say maybe three summers ago and uh, it was it was fine. Was it great? No, and to me the ambiance, we were in what used to be the crystal room, but it wasn't the crystal room anymore. And it was like, why isn't this the crystal room? It was the most beautiful dining room. Um, Great dinner, what's for dessert? <laughs> I don't know, but I am so ready for some sushi. I think I'm gonna have to call Postmates and get me some sushi. I want some sushi! Uh, anyway, um, thank you all for joining me today and for getting to know my friend Drew. I love Drew so much. I don't know, um, ah, thank you. Rock the tank. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, um, I was just gonna tell you guys something. What was I gonna tell you? Um, oh. About Drew, yeah, I think I think I started to tell you. Every time I go back to New York, which sometimes is three times a year, sometimes twice a year, every time I go back, Drew and I eat at Nobu together, and uh, we've eaten it. I eat a Tribeca Grill with my mother and with the kids. We go there, and Samantha's waited on us. Well, she wasn't actually a server when we were there; she was a hostess. But we've gone and eaten a Tribeca Grill many times. But with Drew, Drew and I have lunch. It's tradition. Uh, we started about noon and it's plate after plate after plate after plate after plate and we end with sushi. No, we end with mochi, but we have all the um, preliminary dishes and then we, we have sushi last. That's the traditional thing to do. And in the old days, I used to have hot sake, then he graduated me to cold sake, which I preferred, and now I'm the sober girl. So we drink a lot of green tea. But um, Nobu is my absolute favorite restaurant in the world. And I am so looking forward to going to the one in Malibu. So anybody out here who wants to go to Nobu Malibu with me, I wanna go, I've been dying to go. Um, you want a copy of his, I know the bootleg tapes. Well, it turns out we have to go and look at, what did he say, Wolfgang's Vault. I'm gonna be checking out Wolfgang's Vault on, on YouTube because I have a feeling that all the concerts I went to see back in the day are gonna be on there. And that would be the most thrilling thing. I saw the Allman Brothers there. That would be so thrilling. Um, uh, I've listened to a lot of concerts from the Fillmore East, West and East on Wolfgang's Vault. Oh, wow, I can't wait. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, to checking it out. I think Drew told me that the last time. Drew was on uh, this, this show when it was called The Road Taken and I was on the radio and he was my third guest. So it was, it was actually, um, it's four years ago now. Uh, wow. Um, but in any case, um, thank you all for joining me. It's wonderful to see you.
as always, and to know that you're here, and I've been looking over at your comments. I didn't want to interrupt Drew with them, but um, I was kind of checking out some of the things you were saying, and um, just lovely to know that you're here, and we're sharing this time as we do every day. So have a wonderful Wednesday evening. And I didn't see Cindy. Was Cindy not with us today? I just realized that I, I don't think I've, I've seen a comment from Cindy, and I don't know. Oh, but what Cindy did, uh, Cindy and I were talking yesterday. We went on a speed walk together, uh, her in New York and me in LA. And we were talking about the show and, and the numbers and, and the, this small group that we are. And I said, you know, it's so ironic, you know, the, the show will get three to 500 views and there'll be 20 likes. She said, people don't know they're supposed to like it. If the more that you guys like the show, love the show, the more homepages Facebook will put it on so that it can grow. And I know we are an intimate community and we, you will stay my favorites no matter what. But it would be nice to share this and have our community grow because I think more people would benefit from the COVID crazies. So I would appreciate it if when you're watching like right now, there are 15 likes on this show. Now, come on, Drew deserves more than 15 likes. So I'd really appreciate it if when you watch, you'd share the show, you'd share the link after the show, you'd like it. Help, let's, let's, let's get some more people less crazy because I think there are more people that we know that would really benefit from being part of our community and having that connection because you guys save me every day, including today. I was in a really funky mood today. I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if it's the energy Mercury is standing still. We're going into a retrograde tonight. I, I tried to do a lot of financial business today, moving money and doing all of this stuff. And everything was one pain in the ass after another, being left on hold over and over again. And just a lot of aggravation. And I just got in a really funky mood. And then I do this and I see my friend Drew and I see you guys. And it just makes me so joyful, serene, happy, content, um, satisfied. Um it's a, oh, you are here, Cindy. Good to see you. Okay, so Cindy, I went out for a walk already today. I'm, I wouldn't be opposed to going out for a little stroll again. I don't know, maybe. I guess I should probably do my liner notes and not be up all night. I was up all night last night. Hi, Eileen. Good to see you. So I still, so, oh, I see. So five more people liked the show. We're up to 20 now. So I don't know how many of you are still on over there. It doesn't, not many, but like the show, God damn it. Um, and, uh, likes of likes for you. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate all of you. Um, and anyway, have a wonderful Wednesday evening. I will see you tomorrow. I'm really excited because tomorrow I am going to read, uh, uh, the hard way, which, um, I think it, I think the hard way is the one. Um, yes. I'm going to read The Hard Way, uh, Anne found it for me yesterday, about my uh, foray into stand-up comedy. And we're going to talk about success and failure and what that's looked like for us and what that would look like for us now. Because I think Drew's definition of what success is, he was never driven by money either. He was driven by following his passion. Now, the money followed him. I'm still waiting. But, um, yeah, I want to talk about success and failure and what that's looked like for us. And what, how we measure success. What do we measure? My mother measures success by money. And in that case, I am not a success. Um, so let's talk about success and failure, how we measure it. How do we achieve success in the time of Corona? 
what does success look like now? Because to me, success is this. Success is connecting with you and feeling a part of a community and feeling like something bigger than myself when I'm all alone. But we're not alone. We've got each other. Have a great Wednesday. I've said goodbye six times already. I love you all. I thank you for being here and sharing me, this with me, sharing Drew with me. He's truly an exceptional human being. I adore him. And, um, and if you're in New York, eat downtown. Bye.